Hello and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know, a podcast about education, old stuff, and kind of whatever we feel like talking about in the moment. My name is Thomas Magby. I am joined, as always, by A.J. Hannenberg. Boop, boopy doop. And Graham Donaldson. Shabba dabba ding dong. <laughs> yeah, I think. Is, is this a song from Greece that's happening right now? Yeah. We go together, yeah, boys. Like, is is, is that a Greece song? We like, go together song like a blang bling 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 uh, Yeah, this, yep, you nailed it. Uh, j- uh, Music in the 50s was crazy. Uh, was it the 50s? Well, it was about, the, about 50s, the 50s, but it's set in the 19s. It was not set, the 80s, it was came out in the 70s, 80s, 80s whenever right. it came out. But Shamalama ding dong. That's part of it. Yeah. All right. Gentlemen and, I don't know, listeners, we are here to, you know, um, we're, we're moving into uh, uh, part three. I guess this is not technically a trilogy that we're discussing, but um, yeah, part three just reminds me, like, what are some what are some famous trilogies that we love? Uh, Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. or Back to the Future. The or, only three Star Wars movies that yeah. were ever made. <laughs> yeah, the, the trilogy <laughs> yeah, of Star Wars. Yeah, that's four, five, and six, of which there are no other Star Wars movies. That's a great point you raised. Uh, t- today, we're going to hear about another part three from, I believe, Plato's Republic. Yep, Plato's right. Republic. I'm still doing it, and this might be a trilogy. It might end up being longer than that, depending on how committed I am to this project. How many Great. books are there in Plato's ten. Republic? Oh, so whoa. this could be a ten-parter, <laughs> ten parter. Ten which we, sounds terrible, but honestly, it's pretty it's cool it's stuff kind of fun. in each one. So far. It's like, been fun. Although each one we brings have, up interesting things. We have had requests for more Chaucer. That, that has happened. I might toss some Chaucer in there, although... After the first Chaucer episode, Chaucer's a pretty body fella. Yeah. It is a little, yes. It gets a little, a little risque. Uh, risque there in there. Is, um, so we're just going to get that explicit tag on iTunes? Is that what this is about? Oh, Chaucer with the big E on it? <laughs> We've that, been trying to get that tag for, <laughs> wait, for months wait, and wait, months. Wait, 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 no. wait, wait, what? We definitely don't. Oh, trying. my. It's terrifying. Um, I, yeah, every podcast, <clears throat> I swear and tell terrible t- stories, but it comes out as like just cheeky goofiness i don't know what happens mm. in the podcast process i think we edit that out in the uh in between that sorry sorry in, in post yeah, yeah, yeah sorry AJ. <laughs> sorry how you doing over there buddy it was it was a late I'm night surprised. last yeah, night so, for me yeah. hamburg and i had a late night uh graham uh started this episode with his head in his hands so this, uh, this you will this have heard it well. because i'm yeah. definitely leaving in the i'm okay <laughs> that he said. so I'm that's little, what that I'm was he was just yeah. feeling kind of kind of groggy we went to a concert last night and uh it was late so uh, actually, obje- objectively, it was not late, but we are over th- what time? 30. Wait, what time did y'all get back? So I got, I, I think I put head on pillow at like 20 after midnight, quarter after midnight, so which is not late. It's like not when, bad at like all. Like 21 really. year old Graham is embarrassed. Yeah. That 36 year old Graham is tired. Great. I was out later than both of you, so I win. Yeah, but you have a child like you are you have you are fueled by the love of a father i already told you this i was at a uh, a movie release for a friend of mine and oh, so anyway. i didn't know this oh sorry and then maybe i was talking with aj anyway that's what i was up to oh, so, cool anyway mm. all right well i will stop complaining <laughs> was it <laughs> you can if you want to but. wait was it red carpet did you wear no. a designer who were you wearing <laughs> who was I? I was wearing i can't even think of a designer to name can someone jc penny i was yes mr penny himself <laughs> Was it at Astro? It was a very interesting, anyway. Was it at Astro the movie that you went to go see? No, no, of course not, no. Uh, Austin filmmaker, so anyway. Cool. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Plato. Okay, Plato. Give us a recap there, Berg. I was just going to ask you boys to do that for me. Do you remember what happened in book one and book two? What is justice? What is justice? Right. We got cranky answers. There was a young kid who was a punk. That was book one. Thrasymachus? No, not Thrasymachus. No, I think that was Thrasymachus, right? One of the punks was like, um, justice is the way of the strong, right? Yeah, and uh, Socrates resp- replies somewhat saltily towards Thrasymachus, and Thrasymachus is like, "You annoy me," and then left. And then book two, <laughs> he got flustered. The took off. Um, the actual interlocutors who are eager to know what justice is say, Glaucon "No, wait, and his brother Glaucon mm-hmm. and his brother." Wait, no, Socrates. What actually is justice? Right. Here's our idea, and here's where we think it came from. And Socrates was like, "That's really great. Good job." Well, they're like, here, well, they, let's they, play devil's advocate. Yeah. Here's an argument against justice. Mm-hmm. We want to hear you defend it well, because what you did right. with Thrasymachus was kind of... But they flesh out Thrasymachus's argument, isn't that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And give it a little... And then they're asking, like, this is why I like the dialogues, because Thrasymachus is not asking with a desire to know. Mm-hmm. And Socrates yeah. gives him responses within the spirit of which it was asked. Right. Sort of a mocking way that isn't really getting to the issue. But Glaucon and... 
Glaucus or whatever his brother's name is. Um, Ad, uh, <laughs> his brother Glaucus. Adamantus. Um, Adamantus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We well, always trailed behind. Um, Adamantium. He's at, um, Wolverine is the brother. He, uh, they, they come with the spirit of like actually wanting to know. So yep. that that changes things for for Socrates, and he sort of now decides to put a like real effort into it. Well, they engage instead of getting exactly. frustrated. Yes, yes. yes. And is this where we get the ring of um, Gyges? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have we get that story in book two, right? Right. There, there are a lot of reasons why justice is lame, and one is that it <laughs> it comes as a compromise between two evils. Uh, well, a compromise because everyone would rather be in charge and do whatever they want to, and and right. practice justice on everyone else. But it's hard to be that guy, and it's more likely that you are going to be have injustice practiced upon you. So everyone sort of shakes hands and says, well, we'll just agree agree to justice right. being the law of the land because that's that's nice. And he says, anyone who practices justice would rather do otherwise because if he was given the power to do so, a ring that made him invisible, yeah, would anyone, anyone would immediately go to vice. And if he didn't, everyone would publicly say, oh, what a noble man. He has all that power and he doesn't do anything with it. While right. privately, they're like, that guy's an idiot. Mm. He should be robbing from banks and doing whatever he wants to. Gotcha. Bummer. Right? So there's a few reasons why justice is lame. And uh, Socrates' answer to this is, do you remember? Why justice is okay. Um, this is where we build out the town. Is that that thing? Yeah. He, okay. he, he doesn't really answer it. He says, well, let's take let's a see look. see if we at can a, see it in the macro and then we can see it in the individual. Yeah. If yeah. we look at it where it would appear larger and if we look at justice in a state, we can see what it perhaps means justice inside the person mm-hmm. in, in the individual. So he spends the rest of book two sort of filling out the state. And then we started playing SimCity. Yeah. You pretty much. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You pretty much start playing SimCity. You're like, I need a baker and I need a, you know, a candlestick maker. And, and it all went to crap and... when we uh, got luxuries. Yes. Yeah. Everything went sour when we got luxuries. Yep. And at the very end, we start talking about education and how stories about gods doing bad mm-hmm. things isn't, mm-hmm. isn't mm-hmm. right. We didn't mm-hmm. spend as much time there. We'll spend more time in education this podcast. Cool. So he continues on and we're still sort of talking about the education of our guardians. Do you remember who our guardians were? For the guardians. Um, the kids that love to beat up other kids. Yeah, soldiers or whatever. Yeah, they're going to be our soldiers, right? There's going to be three classes of people. The Those rulers... Those with the propensity towards violence. Bummer. The rulers, the guardians, and the populace, right? The the husband people. The hoi polloi. Husband and... Yeah. Farmers. You're, you're farmer types. I am... Uh, I am prob- that's probably us, boys. We're well, farmer types? Well, speak yeah. for yourself. Why, are you not, why am I not a ruler? Okay, <laughs> you can be a ruler. Okay. Then we're, yeah. But we're farmers. We're farmers. I'm okay with that. Neither, none of us are, are guardians. Not a chance. I would actually maybe prefer to be a shoemaker. I feel like there that'd be go. a pretty Welcome, good one. Well, Welcome to the Hoi Polloi. Yeah, seriously. It's the beginning of, who, who, who's a, we need to learn designers, guys, but who makes really nice shoes? Alan Edmonds, right? Welcome. I, I don't know. Sounds, oh, okay, sounds awesome. Great. But I'd be like one of the first, right? Ancient yeah, sure. Greece, I'd start designing really fancy shoes or sandals or whatever There's they had. There's a Finnish shoemaker that makes shoes my wife really likes. I really like them. Her name's Tara Polka. Just this like one person who makes yeah. shoes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm imagining her as as the the small woman on The Incredibles. Is that yeah. accurate? <laughs> yeah. No. I well, will make you a shoe and you will like it. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, but then she's finished, so. Okay, anyway. That's close enough, right? No. So we start with the beginning and they're talking about how best to educate our soldiers, right? How do we, how do we mold their attitudes? So the first thing Socrates says is, look... We can't make hell be scary. Right now, hell is really scary. And if all of our soldiers think hell is scary, Mm -hmm. they are less likely to be totally chill with dying. And we want them to be totally chill. Uh, What a weird place to start. Okay. Right? We need to get them, we need to let them think that the afterlife is just super great. Pretty pretty dope. It's super great. And that way, if one of their friends (laughs) dies, they'll be like, huh, good on him. Like, underworld ain't so bad. Yeah. And, that's the first thing he says. I feel like book three is where... We get a little manipulative. Uh, yeah, I feel like I've sort of been, you know, being like, okay, Socrates, I see where you're coming from, mm-hmm. all the way up until book three, and I feel like here is where we totally go off the rails. Take a turn? Okay. It really takes a turn for the weird, and I'd like to get your guys' input on why it's weird and why we can maybe disagree with Socrates on some of these, because we definitely don't follow his prescriptions. Okay. So... Hell is to me not that lame. Here's here's a quote. I have I have a bunch of quotes today. Sorry, when you say hell, um, is that the underworld? Cossetus. Sorry. So what I'm asking in the Greek conception, there's only one place you go. Correct. Hades. Correct. So like, yeah. I can't. Is there like a blessed? Isn't there like a blessed yeah, realm the of the gods? Of Elysian. If you're real, like top notch, you can be made into a constellation. I think. Oh, that's seriously? pretty cool. I think the famous are, I don't, I don't really fully, cause I think it changes, right? I think there's the fields of Elysian at some point, but when we, 
when we go to the underworld in the Iliad, it seems to be there's only one place and everybody's That's in one I'm spot yeah. and it's not that great. Everyone's a shade. I'd be like a big celestial hockey stick. <laughs> Wonderful. Good. In the sky? Yeah. yeah. Or like a moose. A celestial moose. A celestial moose. Hockey stick wielding moose oh, in the sky. Oh, yes. That's, that's, that's also reading? Yeah. yeah. Like on a Same Kindle time. or something? Star me up, gods. <laughs> <laughs> Get those constellation engines cranking. Well done. All right. So here's a, here's a little quote from this passage. And we must beg Homer and the other poets not to be angry if we strike out these and similar passages, but not because they are unpoetical or unattractive to the popular ear, but because the greater the poetical charm of them, the less are they suitable for the ears of boys and men who are meant to be free and who should fear slavery more than death. Mm. Right. So we are then the, some of the things he it's, lists is one of the famous ones is Achilles in Odyssey 11, where he says, I would that, rather be a yeah, serf yeah. on the land of a poor and right. portionless man than rule over all the dead who have come to naught. That doesn't make the underworld sound great. So Plato says, if we, if we teach that to our guardians, they're going to be like, they're going to think twice about throwing down with gusto. Right. Yeah. Do you think that's true? Do you think he's right with that? Do you think that uh, the stories, do you think fear of, of the, of death causes one to not want to, die? Mo- it yeah. causes one to moderate their behavior in terms of bravery. Depends on what so. you're thinking about death, but no. yeah, if you're a soldier, I think you probably think about it a lot. That's what I'm saying. So that's why it would matter more for a soldier than for the ruler or the, whatever we call the commoner in mm-hmm. the city. But. Yeah, I was listening to a podcast recently from a, of a, um, of a soldier, well, what's his name? Jocko, Jocko Willink. W- Willink. Yeah. Uh, he was on um, uh, Eric Weinstein's podcast, um, the, Portal. the Portal. And uh, he was saying that, you know, the first thing that soldiers need to do when they are in battle is basically be okay with dying. Um, because once you're sort of okay with dying, then your actions are going to sort of flow out of that. But if you, if you hold death too much as a thing to be feared and, a th- and, and try to avoid it, you're then, gonna run. then you're going to run yeah. or you're going to, you're going to sort of avoid the front sandbag decisions and all these kinds of things. Right. So maybe something Plato's on to something. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. And then the next thing he says is any example of, in, in poetry of the gods or even of famous men kind of whinging and moaning and lamenting, mm-hmm. those need to go to. Okay. Can't have anybody complaining because if we have examples of people complaining, our soldiers will complain on an, any occasion because their heroes and their gods are, everyone seems to be okay with those complaining and lamenting. So can't have them as an example. Mm-hmm. And there's even a couple where Achilles is like, I would kill you, Apollo, if I could. And, or, or I think it was, yeah, Apollo and Zeus sort of, moaning their favorites dying and that sort of thing. And here's the quote. Let's see. For for if, my sweet Adamantius, our youth seriously listen to such unworthy representations of the gods, instead of laughing at them as they ought, hardly will any of them deem that he himself, being a man, can be dishonored by similar actions. Neither will he rebuke any inclination which may arise in his mind to say and do the like. And instead of having any shame or self-control... He will be always whining and lamenting on slight occasions. So get rid of examples of complaining. What do you guys think? It makes sense. I have Graham's same question of how much any of this matters. Will will people naturally want to complain? But I think there's something to... So even if people naturally want to complain, they'll need to figure out what to do with that desire. And so if the stories tell them not to, maybe they'll regulate that more. I think it makes sense. I don't know how influential that change would be. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think even if our heroes don't lament and the gods don't lament, you still want to, people still like to complain. Yeah, right. I don't know if we're going to eradicate that just by not having the, the, the example of it. Yeah. I think Plato puts too much stock that the stories we tell to kids, it's like a little too tabula rasa argument, right? Like we got to really make sure that we put the, these proper things in front of them to like, propagandize behavior i feel like yeah i yeah. like that, that um i feel like any complaining is, is a natural thing that the youth do <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, for sure that they don't need that even if you have that they're not going to be like oh man achilles complained um that sounds like something i should do sure. i do want I, I wonder about that so we say it's a foregone conclusion but is that just because complaining is so commonplace now that it just self perpetuates itself mm. like are these if, if, uh, if all of us started our own monastery, well, if all of us got married, started a monastery, and this isn't working. Anyway, we start our own communities, and they're totally separate from other communities. 
could we raise children who don't complain? Maybe that's the way to phrase it. I think it would have to be from common rebuke. I think you would have to mm-hmm. consistently say, if a kid complains, say, we don't do that here, and sure. then never give any example of complaint from his betters. Right. But the way to say, so we, maybe. Don't, but the way to say we don't do it here is, you know, your father went through a hard time and didn't complain. Like, Giving stories. Yeah. Of, like, you, of, do, you do need those stories to, to, um, hmm. to show that. Otherwise, it's literally just the rule. I don't know. I'm agreeing with you all that it just seems so endemic to like modern day to complain about stuff, but I just don't know if that's actually natural or if it's just common. What we do. Right. Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I mean, these, these two prescriptions I'm kind of fine with, they, they sort of make sense. The next one you guys might have, but in the end having guardians who don't, who think complaining is, is dishonorable is probably a good thing to have. Yeah, Yeah, sure. Totally. Yeah. Here's the next recommendation. Neither ought our guardian, guardians to be given to laughter, for a fit of laughter which has been indulged to excess almost always produces a violent reaction. Great. No laughter. Wonderful. Wait, we shouldn't have them laugh because if they laugh too much? They'll have a violent reaction. Huh. Don't we want violence from them? I don't even know what he means by a violent reaction. Does yeah. he mean an upset stomach? <laughs> there it is. Could be. <laughs> I'm not quite sure. Yeah. But uh, sure. Do you want your soldiers to be super... Fu- so... Graham, you listened to the portal interview with Jocko. Yeah. Is, does Jocko strike you as a very fun-loving guy? Yes. No, he is not a, uh, not necessarily, yeah, no. Yeah, and I don't think he laughed a single moment in a two-hour interview. Correct. So, and there's something, uh, he is a very, he's, I don't I don't know all of his exploits, but he was successful in whatever military endeavor he had. Oh, so. I mean, and he, he's the guy that trains special forces. Is that what he does? Yeah, I, yeah. I don't know much about him, but, so that's, again, all to say, maybe he's proving that point mm-hmm. that he is so focused on skill in soldiering that I don't know. He doesn't need laughter. I don't know. He also doesn't seem like a human in that conversation, but also that is true. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I get what, it, what he's saying is, um, I always wonder if it's going to be the reverse as opposed to, we can engineer the guardians to be this way. It's the other way is, people who naturally have a propensity to seriousness uh, and not complaining are going to be the ones that right, self-select so. into the guardianship. Sure. But I, I think that we're having a disconnect with reality because oh, sure. So no, 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 like, like, because people have to laugh. What do you, what well, do you my what's point the is that if you, if we know anything about the military, there is constant hijinks in the military. Like people are laughing and playing pranks on each other all the time. Sure, but not in um, maybe. I don't, I don't know. I, 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 I think having not been a part of it, I, don't I know. almost disagree and think that laughter is almost a necessary stress reliever in the military. Right? If you don't laugh and it's just 100% serious all the time, that kind of thing coupled with the violence that you see can make for a pretty oppressive atmosphere. Mm-hmm. I think I think you need sure. some laughter, right, to to maintain your humanity. Yeah. Some mirth and merriment. Yeah, yeah for sure. I, I could see it either way. I do also think my stereotype of a military man is not like a fun loving and, you know, boisterous guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. th- there is a severity to being in a line of work where you kill people mm-hmm. that, for sure. That uh, is appropriate to the position. Mm-hmm. So I don't, yeah, I, I, think don't so. I don't know how to balance those two. But maybe we're thinking of the, the military men who are in, I'm thinking of the enlisted. The enlisted sure. often are playing pranks on each other. It's the military men at the top that I think tend to not be playing pranks that. on other military men at the time. <laughs> that makes sense. Right. It's, it's okay when you're enlisted, play some pranks and play some cards and laugh at their, each other's jokes. It's a little more unnerving when your generals are doing the same. Totally. Yeah. And maybe that's Graham's point of those, the people who are more serious are self-selected for uh, higher positions in the military. Yeah. Okay. And then he's like, we should not admit all these things. They don't seem legit when the gods complain and when the great men do these things not only are they bad for our soldiers but they, they simply can't be true gods can't complain right that's at least that's socrates's position okay he doesn't believe that the gods are originators of any evil and so he says any of this poeticism about them doing this it can't be accurate in the first place mm-hmm. so we should re- we should maintain truth here's one of i thought the most interesting passages in this whole chapter there's, there's a few pretty good ones but i thought this one was pretty compelling then if anyone at all is allowed is to have the privilege of lying, the rulers of the state should be the persons, and they in their dealings either with enemies or with their own citizens may be allowed to lie for the public good. But nobody else should meddle with anything of the kind. And although the rulers have, the, have this privilege, for a private man to lie to them in return is to be deemed a more heinous fault than for the patient or the pupil of a gymnasium not to speak the truth about his own bodily illnesses to the physician or to the trainer." 
or for a sailor not to tell the captain what is happening about the ship and the rest of the crew and how things are going with himself or his fellow sailors. So basically, if anyone is to lie, it should be the rulers of the state and the populace cannot lie to the state in return. It makes sense. It does make sense. So, I mean, I think we I, we don't like... I think when we first hear it, we're like, oh, we don't want the, the rulers to lie to us. But I think the more you... There's, I think there's a necessary lie of power of the state um, or even just or just the withholding of information. Uh, yeah, I think it is more withholding. When you say there is, did you say there's a necessary lie or are you saying, are you referencing something specific or are you saying there's a nece- just a necessity? No, I'm, I'm thinking more in the terms of like, um, like Athens... Athens was based on an idea and one of the ideas that Athens is based on is that the Athenian way is the best way Mm -hmm. and the better way than any other way. And the populace believes it, but but probably when you are seeing how the sausage is made in politics, when you're at the top and you're actually seeing that the people who are coming into power or, you know, you're just sort of... Um, you, you realize like that this isn't that maybe, um, these people aren't, it's like Mr. Smith goes to Washington, right? Like you've got this idea of, of, of this, you know, this beautiful mechanism. And then when you actually go and see how the mechanism works, you realize that it's, it's pretty tenuous and pretty, um, volatile and pretty fragile. Um, but the, uh, so the, um, maybe it's not a lie, but it's more like a willful, um, suspension of of how fragile the thing actually is um because if you you know if the populace stopped believing in the democratic way in athens and the whole city would fall, fall down apart, right but um, um so regardless of your personal beliefs there's this is i guess plato's point there's a greater good to consider so even if you are questioning the value of democracy in, mm-hmm. in this situation you'd still say you still uh, uh, praise the values of it publicly. Let's take a negative example of, of a state that we would not want to live in, like a totalitarian state. And the lie that's, that keeps a totalitarian, totalitarian state together is the leader is infallible right. or the leader knows best. Everybody who sort of spends time with the leader, who the upper people in that, and maybe if the leader himself or herself is honest – realize, oh crap, I am making all these decisions and I have, I could be wrong. And all the leader and all the people that sort of work with the leader see decisions being made and they're like, that was a bad decision. But you've got to go back to the populace and say, the leader has made an amazing decision. This is the best way to go for our country. Because if everybody stopped believing that, then the whole house of cards falls down. It's a little more safe when you have, when it's not a one individual leader, it's a system. Right. Um, but the system requires faith, and so maybe it's maybe it's a little disingenuous to call it a lie. But um, but still, so faith is um, you're then believing in something that's not actually there. Mm-hmm. So to to praise the city of Athens and say the city of Athens is the greatest city in the world, yeah. you're a leader there. Well, you might still see values in Sparta, mm-hmm. but you can't acknowledge this. Yes, is that or you have to sort of like yes, um, see them as uh, as worse than what you do, even right. if it's even if it's obviously a better way of doing something. Sure. Um, I don't know. So, yeah, is that a lie? Um, I guess. But then there's also the lies that this, that uh, the, 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 what are they called? The, the leaders? The rulers. The rulers need to keep just in terms of what's happening with the military and what's happening right. with... That they can't uh, disclose that yeah. information? Mm-hmm. Sure. That makes... And especially, I, don't, I actually don't... Sorry, I don't remember if he said this in the quote you just read there's some sort of lying or withholding that's necessary in dealing with other powers Mm -hmm. that, yeah, with enemies and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there are people with like ill intent toward your city, your country or whatever. And you can't just tell them everything without destroying your city. Yeah. So that, I mean, at at that level that it makes sense. I'm thinking back to another uh, definition of the state that I can't remember who said it, but it was something along the lines of like the state is everybody who believes the same founding myth. Or who believes this sort of same lie about wow. about the, um, the the populace, and it's kind of a, I think it's a, a cynical way to say yeah. it, but um, uh, but it's uh, the founding myth could be well, I mean, in the U.S. it's not a it's not a myth as it is an idea of mm-hmm. of liberty mm-hmm. regulated by 
uh, representative government. Mm-hmm. So that's that's an idea of, mm-hmm. and actually this is one of the reasons why the United States is like unlike any other country ever is because it was a country f- founded on an idea as opposed to we've always been here. Right. Um, history. Right. So um, it's it's not so much a lie as it is an idea, but um, uh, but if, if faith is lost in that idea, then then the rulers have a harder time ruling. Yes, the, the state um, would fall apart. Mm-hmm. Right, people would have no reason to maintain that state if they think it'd be fine if we were taken over by someone else. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Or if there or if there's a belief that the way we do things doesn't matter. Right. We could do it another way. We can completely change this, and it wouldn't matter. You wouldn't have the same. Right. You wouldn't have the same state. So, right. yeah, I I tend to agree. I think that it's really uncomfortable for us to say that we're okay with the state lying to us every now and again. Mm-hmm. But if we actually think about it, we probably want the state to lie, state to lie every now and again. We don't want to hear about every single missile threat there is. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know about those. Right. Mm-hmm. There'd be constant panic, right? I don't want to know everything that's happening in the military. I, like the, there are some things I think that are better kept secret but i i think it's a that necessitates that we elect the absolute best people to the role sure because if we are giving them the power of deceit or the power of withholding information it can easily be abused and they withhold all sorts of sorts of information and they use that they sort of use that cover to do dastardly things that and also have a system that is strong enough to be able to withstand poor leaders because they're going to come through. Because they're going to come through. Yeah. It's like, yeah. um, I think it was, so Warren Buffett had this quote about uh, boards, mm-hmm. uh, he, or he, about investing in companies. It's like, invest in a company that is so simple to run, a ham sandwich could do it, mm-hmm. because one day a ham sandwich it is going to is going <laughs> to exactly. be running that company, right. or the equivalent right. of a ham sandwich. Right. Um, <laughs> That's true. So, yeah. um, yes, you want to elect the best people, the most noble people mm-hmm. that you can have. But... But then you also want to have systems in place that have these measures that can keep damage from being done and i mean we're not to get we don't really ever get political on this podcast but right now i I think we see a um a rush sort of on both sides of the aisle to be able to increase the powers of those in power because they're frustrated with the systems we have in Mm -hmm. place to keep that power from being wielded more effectively so there's this like our government is horribly inefficient, and so we should get rid of all these efficiencies. We should have a fifty percent vote, or we should have a. But the system's. Supposed but to the be system is it. built up in that way to right. frustrate that yeah, exactly. because. Um, um, the uh, unchecked wielding of power, yeah, especially exactly. under the. The um, uh, sorry, behind the curtain of deceit, yeah. can be yeah. terrible. So Democrats could say, "Oh well, if we when we're in power, if we had the the ability to like." get things done faster because we're probably going to be only in power for four to eight years. Well, let's try to get those things done. And wouldn't that be great if we could, if we could do that? And the other side says, no, don't do that. And then the other side gets in power and they're like, now they've got the tools to be able to enact, you know? And so, um, if you, if you, if you did have a totally efficient government, you'd have these wild swings yes. from left to right. Yes. Whenever you would have crazy social volatility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Anyway. Yeah. All right. That was a fun little conversation. <laughs> uh, that's weirdly <laughs> enough. Of, that's only a small related. portion. Yeah. yeah. Of, of what he goes over. So the next part, he says, all right, so the ability to lie belongs to the state. Our youth shouldn't lie. The guardians aren't liars. And they should also be temperate. And he actually breaks down what temperance is, which is obedience to commanders and self-control and sensual pleasures. Right? Okay. That's temperance, which is, I think that's a fine definition, especially for our soldiers. But to that end, he says that our poetry shouldn't have the following. We can't have any tales of Zeus doing what Zeus tends to do, which is... Throw lightning bolts? Hang out with, <laughs> well, hang out with ladies. Oh, right. Oh, wait, what? So we can't have any tales of that. We can't have any tales of the love of greed either. Uh, when, you know, people should be magnanimous and yet they are still encouraged to take money. An example, the example that they use is actually from the Iliad. It's when uh, Phoenix encourages Achilles to take the bribe and come back to war. He says, we can't have examples of our heroes or well, especially Phoenix, right? right? A wise old man saying, Hey, take the money, take right. the money and run. So we gotta get, gotta get rid of those, which is kind of fun. Do you guys fun uh, like that, fun that he brought that example in? Yeah. I just think that it's, he seems to want to carve out all the negatives of humanity from the stories, the stories, tell. which, yep. That's what, okay. So, but that's why I'm, I'm confused in all this. So first off, the question is, is this actually what Plato believes or is he setting, are we supposed to be bothered by the example he sets up? Um, this is the, this is the debate about Plato. Right. So I don't know. And also 
I guess the other question is, does the, does what is proposed through the Republic kind of end up as a, as a totalitarian state? Like, I don't know. I, I think you can only call it that. I, I mean, he has a, he, it's ruled by a philosopher king. Right. Right. It is pretty much autocratic, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And that, so that's, so we don't think that's good, but there are good parts of the society. I don't know. So like at the end of last time, when we talked about the dangers of luxury, like that's actually something we can apply to our lives. Yeah, for sure. So, but that doesn't necessitate us being in a farming community. I don't know. Uh, but we like we like enlightened despotism. If we're actually honest, how many? How much do we lionize supposedly amazing CEOs or Solomon? Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Or or kings or kings yeah. who you know. And we Wise look at kings. that and we say, oh, um, if you have a good man pulling all the strings, like then the health of the state will follow. Now that's a really dangerous thing because his son. Especially if you have like primogenitor succession, like right. his son could be a you know a ham sandwich. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but I think uh, the genetics we, on that would be complicated. But we do but. look and we say like, oh, I will in, like think of investing. I'll invest in this company because I really believe in the CEO. I really think he can pull this thing through. Like, like Jeff Bezos is has has it figured out. Mm-hmm. Now maybe maybe he's not. Who cares about his morality? or whatever, but like in terms of his running a business, his running a business or his, his autocracy, um, uh, it's going to do really well for everybody. Right. And so I think maybe we, we, we tolerate it in the business world, but we don't like the idea of it in the, in the political world. Yeah. And rightly so. Um, because of the the dangers of, of, you know, the baton passing, you want to have that, um, well, the difference is the use of force. Right? Yes, so, exactly. Uh, Amazon does not have a standing army. So Yet. That, yeah, okay, great. I mean, with those drones. <laughs> drones, baby. Yeah, those drones one day. Yeah, yeah Amazon mercenary division. Hey, yeah, I'm yeah. Just yeah. So, and it, so there is a difference between a business being uh, authoritative and a government being authoritative. So I get that. Well, I mean, my, my big question here is that this this little section seems to fly in the face of what we have discussed in previous podcasts, which is that... We shouldn't the, talk... We shouldn't talk about certain stories that are yeah. immoral. Well, the, the very... I think I said that before, isn't it? When we read um, William Blake? I mean, I know you had autocratic tendencies. I mean, I would but not... William Blake... As a father, no. <laughs> William Blake contains a potentially disastrous philosophical idea that it, it borders on blasphemy, right? Whereas... Is blasphemy borders? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so it... But the Iliad is not, right? And one of the reasons we read the Iliad and that the Iliad in the classical world is touted as important to read is because we look at the examples of men who make mistakes so that we can avoid those same mistakes. And it even seems to contradict what he will later say in this chapter, which is that wise men learn from the mistakes of the evil. Mm. And so if his goal is to carve out the mistakes of the idiots and the evil, and all we have are good indications... But is Phoenix evil? But evil or not, we're going to carve out the evil thing that he does, which right. is encourage right. greed. Right. Right. And so if we're carving all of that out of our stories, what's the point? Right. Don't we say that one of the reasons we read the Iliad is to, to have students kind of put themselves in complex moral situations and then climb their way out and think about, okay, maybe he made a mistake. What can I do different? Well, if we carve the mistakes out, we're just giving examples of goodness, but we haven't given our kids any chance to look at the evil and see its results. Yeah, right? Does that I, make sense? I, it I think yeah. it creates a fragility actually in the soul of the guardian because, yeah. um, you know, take a German analogy, like you've kept them inoculated or you've kept them isolated from any kind of disease their whole life. And when they actually get an exposure to a story or something, or they see a commander, they respect, take a bribe. They don't have a way to deal with it. Um, or they're going to be too, they're going to be too black and white in their dealings. And I think that that's not, that that's not ultimately not going to be uh, helpful in, in sort of their, what, what their role for the state is. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, granted, they won't be good like, soldiers. If, if Plato, if Plato was modern, he'd be like, well, all we need is robots. Like we just right. need robots that will obey us. Well, that's what Plato wants. Isn't that's it? what Plato wants. It seems to be what he wants yeah. to make. And right. I, granted, he's not pulling out every example of vice. He's mm-hmm. pulling out the examples of where great men encourage vice mm-hmm. or right. great men do things they shouldn't. Yeah. And that's a thing we have talked about before is that there are fewer ways to be good than there are to be bad. And yeah. so to teach someone, you should tell the truth. There's only really one truth. There's one thing that happened. And so to focus on that is so much easier than to say, here are all the ways not to lie. It's, it's, it seems much. So yeah. Yeah. And maybe some of this is based on age of the guardian that's being raised, but at some level early on, they should only be taught. This is what's good. And then ultimately, maybe 
to think about, but if what you want is for them to follow their commander, why would you ever teach them to question someone else? Does that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I wonder at the wisdom of cutting out all examples of great men having a fault. Sure. It, it sets you up for disappointment for when you like meet actual humans. So I, And disallowance of yourself in sure. the vices that you might have. Like sure. chances are, even if you're a guardian or a ruler, you're going to have problems a thorn in the flesh you're gonna have something you're doing wrong and right. it's gonna be a huge problem for you right. i don't know i i always I, this rubs me the wrong way what we br- I th- what i bristle at is like he wants to create this class of warriors he wants them to be less educated in the in the full richness of humanity so that they can be more effective in their utilitarian task in society so like they're yep. like let's not let's not educate them on purpose so that they can be Killing machines. Only useful, yeah, for that. Only yep. useful. Yep. And I think that um, um, the Christian response to this is, well, you know, that's ignoring their their um, being made in the image of God, um, that a humanizing education should be for everybody. Right. Um, and that to treat people as a means to an end for society's health solely is... Um, um, not only anti-Christian, but, um, um, yeah, dehumanizing. Let's put it that way. Sure. Yeah. I just find it interesting that the stories, it seems to clash with what he'll say later. Is that? No, oh. what Jesus did. Oh, interesting. Jesus didn't choose the great men with no flaws to mm-hmm. be our stories. Mm-hmm. In fact, he oh. did completely yeah. the opposite. Uh, throughout the, throughout the scriptures, he chose grand men who are deeply flawed. Sure. But there, there are ways of talking about, say, David, if we're going biblical examples. So you could focus on the failings of David or on the greatness of David. And that's, I guess that's what I'm having, I don't know. Yes. Why was David considered righteous is a really interesting question. But, uh, but I, and I'm with you. Like, sure, we should focus on his greatness and, yeah. in his, and on his righteousness. Yeah. But to ignore the flaw is, I think, disastrous, right? He... He was a man after God's own heart, despite his grand failing. Totally. And to remove that, to, to try to whitewash scripture and take out all the failings, yeah. like, see yeah. you later, Peter. Am I right? Yeah, to- sure, sure. But <laughs> sure. But I have this conversation um, where we've, a book we've talked about on the podcast before is uh, Josh Gibbs's, what's the first book? Something that, I don't know, Something That Will Not Forget is the second one. What's the first one? How to Be Unlucky. How to yeah, Be Unlucky. Unlucky. And we're reading that as a faculty. And one of the themes in there is this, like, distinction of, like, salvation versus like doing good things in the here and now. And there's like genuine confusion in students between those two things. I, again, if, if you take a look again, if you look at David and you only focus on him being a regular everyday human because he messed up, there's a despair that comes in with that of why bother? Like, mm. like why bother being great? If all that really matters about me is that I'm a sinner and it encourages license. Yes. It, it, it says, well, since David did this, I can kind of do whatever I want to. Mm-hmm. And he was still righteous, mm-hmm. right, to, to that example there. And so I, I just want to be more sympathetic to Plato's argument of I think we do need more hero stories. Hmm. In, in whenever yes. I, whenever I, I do my next episode, it's going to be on St. Francis. Be, not because St. Francis was perfect, but because there are examples from the life of St. Francis that I want to incorporate into my life. And I just don't want to take away from him by saying also he um, – because St. Francis lived, there was a group of like heretics that came after him that co-opted his ideas. Mm-hmm. Does that, mm-hmm. does that distinction make sense? It does. Yeah. And if you're playing classical stuff, bingo at home, that was a reference to Josh Gibbs, just in case, you know, you... Oh, thank you. <laughs> Every episode. Can we yeah, try and get we gotta, I mean, I, I, just I, to be fair, I named him. So it's not even just a reference. I did in fact name him. So yeah, that's true. Yeah, even better. Bingo. Yeah, I, there's gotta be like a seven for one punch card or something. Yeah. But, yeah. So anyway, turn in your prize. I don't know, whatever. If you, you want to design, you want to design yeah. the classical yeah. stuff bingo game, uh, email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. Yep. And thanks to those folks who've been sending us memes. I've yeah, been well enjoying done. them. Yeah, well thank done. you so much. Those are great. Absolutely. Send more. More memes. Okay. I'm not giving up music. I remember book three. What's up? I'm, I'm not, not giving, giving up music. You don't have to give up music. I thought that's part of book three. We, nah. can't, we can't train our kids music. He, no, he talks about music, but oh. a very specific type of music. Oh, that's right. We'll get there. Okay, so first he talks about poetic style, what kind of poetic poeticism we should allow in our state. He says there's two kinds. Just for the guardians or for everybody? Uh, I, I think he's still speaking of the education of the rulers and guardians, but I think this applies to everyone, right? But he's still he's gotcha. focusing in on our guardians, right? So two, there are two types of poetic style. There's simple narration and imitation. Do you guys have any idea what those mean? 
Give me the two again. Imitation and what? Simple narration and imitation. I have no idea. Uh, narration is just telling telling a story. Telling so what I'm happened. assuming I'm assuming Homer would fall into narration. Okay. Some of and Homer. then imitation would be using the words to describe an object. I don't know. No, way off. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, come back next week, Graham. Yeah, so bingo, what it well, actually is is simple narration is when the bingo yeah, card. Be, Graham being way off. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> when the author is plainly being himself and just telling you what happened and not pretending to be anyone else. And imitation is when he is speaking as though he were someone else. So that would be any form of dialogue. Oh, okay. oh interesting. So okay. those are the two types, dialogue okay. and simple narration. And okay. he says, because in our state, we want people to do one thing and do it well, then if we want our guardians to do a good job, they can't be imitating. Mm-hmm. Right? They're not supposed to. So if they're going to write, they're not going to write in this imitating style. And if you're going to be a writer, you should probably stick to imitating one type of person. Hmm. Because if you try to imitate a whole bunch of people, that probably doesn't speak well of you. And I'm, I'm starting to gloss over a few things here, and we can maybe return to what you guys find interesting. But he says there's there's essentially three styles you can end up in. There's straight narration. Mm-hmm. There's the kind where you imitate just the good. And then there's the kind where you imitate everybody, right? Mm. So I have narration, and it can be mixed with imitation of everybody else. So mi- there's also, like, they call it mixed style, mm-hmm. maybe. And an example of just imitation would be, say, Shakespeare. Okay. Right, a tragedy, where mm-hmm. it's it's just characters speaking. Okay. Because it's all dialogue. Because it's all dialogue, yeah, yeah. right? And he kind of says, you can't, we're going to toss out everybody that imitates a bad character. Like anything, uh, anything so that any brings story, in yeah, the dialogue a from a bad character okay. is to be ditched. Man, it's getting a little uh, top down in here. Maybe. I I feel like I'm, I'm uh, more and more sympathetic to this argument the more we go. Like, imagine that Uh-oh. only virtuous stories were, sh- again, we work at a high school. Imagine we only shared virtuous stories. They only read virtuous stories. They only praised virtuous people. Would that be a worse place? Like... I don't know. So I guess there's a big difference between the things you choose and censorship. Like we have a curriculum. Call it we curating. Can, we, we can choose. Yeah. yeah, you know, we can sure. curate our curriculum. Sure. Yeah. But then would you make it part of the Veritas Honor Code or the thing that they sign as students that they are not like allowed to watch Netflix? What? Imagine if we they, did. Imagine if we did. Imagine if yeah. Would um, that be a better or worse? place imagine that there were uh, no no social media or like imagine that all those negative things all those algorithmic things that are bringing in who knows what like we're gone is that a better or worse life gone because they the students built up the ability to resist it or gone because those in power stopped it from happening Sure, we'd prefer the first, but why not start with the second? Like, it's, um, if you, I forget what it is, but it's, uh, I think it's if you don't taste a food by the age of 25, you're not, the the likelihood of you ever liking that food is essentially zero. Uh, salmon roe. Congratulations. Okay. But like, I'm just saying, like, imagine that, <laughs> imagine that if you, um, like, 25 is old, but imagine, like, if you could, like, uh, keep your kids from eating junk fast food and then they would, like, just not have a taste for it because they don't get hooked early. But the thing is, but junk fast food is, like, engineered to bypass our, des- our evolution, basic desires yeah, for like salt, Facebook, fat, and sugar. And so, Twitter. exactly. Yeah. So that even when they're 30 and they eat it, they're like, oh my goodness, my body wants this. Right? Sure. This is the same thing from before of complaining that, yes, complaining may be natural, but the mm. stories we share might tell us what to do with that desire for a complaint. Mm. Okay. Is it no. worth at least fighting? Have we get, have we ceded too much to just say off the bat, man, eh, it's going to happen anyway, yeah. so we might as well let not, him, not, let him not do not it worry at about 12. It. Yeah, 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 exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you're, uh, there's something to that. Okay, thanks. I, I always think about the danger of, like, we, we see students who are overly sheltered and prevented these things. But I feel like we don't see as many overly sheltered students as we see overly comfortable with the world yes (laughs) sure sure but what sometimes what happens with those overly sheltered students is they hit college and they go totally nuts right because all of a sudden they are or they live devout lives uh, before god yeah or they don't sure sure but but i'm what i'm saying is it's not a guarantee by withholding stories to yeah to prevent these things and 
far more what I tend to hear is the student comes back and they're like, you didn't tell me or prepare me for any of this, right? And now I have to deal with it on my own. Now, maybe that's not totally fair, but I just don't know if we, we see the withhold these stories thing pan out as we would hope it pans out. Well, let's take, for example, uh, well, we've talked about Dorian Gray. So Dorian Gray, this is the other thing, is is the story in the hands of a teacher or the story sure. in the... Um, Sure to have like a guide who's yeah. bringing you through that so story. So Hannenberg teaching Dorian Gray um, uh, can be taught in a way that brings out the, you know, don't live your life this way <laughs> story and method talking about why this thing, why the life of, of um, um, you know, seeding your soul to every, every whim of pleasure that you have is not an enjoyable one. And so in many ways, like students, I think, benefit from truth telling about sin. Yeah. Um, as so I think when people talk about sheltered, there's different ways to do it. Um, one is to never let them know about the bad thing because of fear that the bad thing is going to win. But the other thing is no uh, is like um, to know about the bad thing, to but be not told to know about the bad thing by studying it, but to know about the bad thing by not pretending like it doesn't exist. And by, to, by handing them a sword, yes. Rather than fight the thing off yourself, you hand the student a sword. Yeah, like um, letting the student know the consequences of something. Like, let's say, let's talk about, I don't know, um, video games mm-hmm. or wasting one's time. Um, and you, and so, uh, if you just sort of, um, you could, um, do everything in your power to keep a video game from ever entering into your house, but never talking to your child about it. Um, or you could, um, uh, you know, show them what happens with a failed life of somebody who is so hooked on games that they can't figure out that they can't sort of bring themselves to do anything worthwhile later in life. Sure. And kind of like show them the horror of consequence. I think, does that make sense? It does. Um, And I, I, so I feel like we're not, we're not, um, um, uh, you know, sanitizing, sanitizing the story, but we're. um, But it's still a moral story you're telling. It's not. That's the thing. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. It's not, it's not the, we're presenting this as extremes and probably none of this is extremes. The other extreme is to say child do whatever you want to yes and for sure i'll moralize at you about what you should and shouldn't do but ultimately it's your decision it's like mm-hmm. well actually they would eat what's the y'all were telling me the story of the guy and the boy in britain pringles and white bread and um, white bread pringles and like and like meat like and, ham and ultimately he went blind went blind yeah and that's i think how, how perfect of a metaphor is that for what it is to give people who are unready to make decisions decision making power yeah uh yeah so there's a danger on both sides yeah. Okay. We are so far off. So we're no, we're just so far into the episode and we have so much left in the chapter yeah. that I'm kind of despairing. At getting yeah, summarize it. it. So I'm going to, I'm going to summarize a bunch of this for you guys. <laughs> and yeah. Sorry about the long conversations. We tend to, <laughs> why are you apologizing? We tend to talk. Yeah. We talk about stuff. I guess that's, this is, that comes to the podcast. I'm weird. Uh, so the next thing he talks about after talking about imitation and saying pretty much that if you're a good writer, you'll avoid imitating bad people in your text. And we're going to boot out all the poets who tend to talk about bad things. And I love this. He, he even says, uh, what is it? And therefore, when any one of these pantomimic gentlemen, somebody who will mimic anything, who are so clever that they can imitate anything, comes to us and makes a proposal to exhibit himself and his poetry, we will fall down and worship him as a sweet and holy and wonderful being. But we must also inform him that in our state, such as he, are not permitted to exist, and law will not allow them. And so when we have anointed him with myrrh and set a garland of wool upon his head, we shall send him away to another city. For we mean to employ to our soul's health the rougher and severer poet or storyteller, who will imitate the style of the virtuous only, and will follow those models which we prescribed at first when we began the education of our soldiers." So basically, if another poet comes along and he's like, I like to speak in your town, we're like, oh, you're so wonderful and your poetry is so great, but beat it. Yeah. That's kind of what we do. Sure. <laughs> so it talks about that. And then he moves on from poetic style to musical style and says, as far as words go, well, we've already talked about words, so it just applies the same. And then he says, let me ask, we can't listen to anything in the minor chords. 
You are correct, sir. Nailed he, it. he actually talks about specific scales that should be banished. The Lydian scale is one of those. It's sad and for used for strains of lamentation, so ditch that. Keep the Ionian scale. Oh, sorry. Banish the Ionian scale, too, because that's for drinking songs. Um, the Dorian and Phrygian, A-OK. <laughs> that's your scale, baby. That's your scale. He also talks about how oddly stringed tuned or oddly tuned stringed instruments, also not OK. So Hendrix and your guitar, get out of here. OK. And the... There. My guitar gently weeps. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And then, so after talking about music and banning any anything that isn't like a victory march, mm. which sounds amazing, I actually think he might have really liked EDM music. <laughs> he he talks so about... positive? It's just, yeah. Well, yeah. and it's rhythm. High he says, yeah, we should time. have simple rhythms That's that funny. go with the simple honesty of the soul and nothing too complicated or crazy or in a minor key. And I'm like, that just sounds like... <laughs> I feel like I can still hear Dead Mouse in my head right <laughs> now. Oh my like that, I think that would be right up his alley. He'd uh-huh. be like, what is this wonderful soldier music? Uh-huh. <laughs> The next is Jim, and he says, so, for a, a good soul will end to cultivation of a good body, but cultivating a good body does not necessarily lead to having a good soul. And he says, for our soldiers, we could put them on a strict regimen, but have you ever noticed that the really strict regimen of athletes, if they ever vary from it, they just sort of fall to pieces, yeah. right? Any sort of variation in their schedule. So he says, we'll keep it simple. I've noticed that in my life. <laughs> Any variation you have from your yeah, bodybuilding yeah. days. Strict yeah, exactly. bodybuilding yeah. My stuff. strict... Uh, athletic regimen. Yeah. So he says they'll eat roast because you don't need a pan for that. And they'll get used to just roasting things over a fire like good soldiers do. <laughs> and no sweet sauces for sure. Oh good. man, yeah. I couldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, because sweet sauces. I love my sweet sauces. Yeah. And if you, if you ever are intemperate, eventually you'll probably get to get a disease and lots of these like sweet sauces lead to prolonged diseases. And oh, that leads man. to Seriously? a proliferation of doctors. Oh. And proliferation of lawyers, oh, which we also don't want. That ruins our society. And then there's a whole pad, uh, a whole page. You can pry my sweet sauces from my cold dead fingers. <laughs> there's there's a whole page panning the litigious. Like, aren't the people who go to court all the time just the worst? And they're like, oh yeah, they're just the worst. Yeah. And then in maybe one of my favorite passages, it talks about how we shouldn't indulge those who have prolonged long illnesses. Usually he thinks that these are the rich folks, right? Who have the money to be sick for a really long time. Because like, if you're... the poor die? Wow. Yeah, because the oh, poor... If you're, if you're a farmer, you're going to come up and either it'll be a definite illness that right. you can totally solve or he'll be like, I don't have the time or money for this and I don't have time to be sick all this time. So I'm going to go back to work and either he'll be fine or he'll die. Yeah. And that's kind of the prescription he says. Really? He says, we, yeah, we shouldn't indulge those who are perpetu- perpetually sick. If he has a definite illness, like instead of just like, I, I feel kind of gross, you should solve it, do what you can, and then kick them out. Like either, you <laughs> oh know, gosh. if they're not, if they're useful to society, awesome. If they're not useful to society, they'll die. Yeah, I don't like that. Yeah. Well, I'm planning a rebuttal podcast about, because um, I'm reading After Virtue and he talks about like the the um um this view of the utilitarian yeah, the sure. utilitarian and the and the mm-hmm. the utilitarian on the one side and human rights on the other side and he says both are trash yeah. so the evidence he brings up are the guys who staunch menelaus's arrow wound mm-hmm. in the iliad so one of the kings gets shot with an arrow mm-hmm. and they staunch his blood and he's like look it's fine and he's like it doesn't mention any sort of prolonged care <laughs> i'm like that's you know, not the focus that's a stretch plato yeah, you know what i mean you're kind of it's not that they didn't think he should have any prolonged care of that mm-hmm. wound he also says doc the best kind of doctor is one who's been sick all the time because he sort of knows what all what the sicknesses are yeah. and he cures people with his mind hmm. but judges shouldn't be stupid doctors can be sick judges shouldn't be stupid <laughs> that's good and the wise can have knowledge of vice, but the vicious can't really be wise, right? If you're wise, you learn from other people's mistakes and you sort of get a knowledge of both. Right. But if you're vicious, you, you don't really you know what it learned. means to be wise. Right. Um, so he says, gymnasium and music should be balanced, right? It's the spirited and philosophical, like the body and the mind should mm-hmm. be in balance because too much music, too much poetry can make you effeminate and too much gym we know people that have too much gym, right? Sure. It makes you a savage. He's like, so on the one side, you have savagery. On the other side, you have effeminacy. And so you have to balance the two like a like a nice, finely tuned instrument. Is this true for guardians also? That's that's who we're talk, mostly okay. talking about is the soldiers. So he still wants... So they do have an interior life. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Just a sanitized one. Yeah, sure. And then and then in the, in the last section... And this is where it gets, I wish we'd gotten here earlier because, man, it deserves some conversation. Maybe we'll have to hit it in the beginning have, of the next one. Five and a half minutes. So, But he says, here's how we choose our rulers and guardians. Oh, I remember this. Basically. Blood test. 
Really? Mm, sort of. So the first thing is wow. holding to the truth is what we need. People who hold okay. to the truth. And some forget the truth over time and others are deceived, right? By argument or by force or something like that. So basically, when the kids are young, we have to test and see which ones will hold to the truth, even among terrors and pleasures, which we will ply them with. So we'll freak them out and we'll try to force them to abandon the truth. And then we'll ply them with a bunch of pleasures and see if they're like, fine, whatever, rock and roll, this is great. Like, just give them Netflix and see which see ones absolutely succumb to the Netflix. All of them. What do you? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and see if they are charmed yeah. by those. And if they're not charmed, well, then that's the people we need to rule and be hmm. awesome. So we are going to test them when they're children to pick the best. And that determines for the rest of their life if they're worthy. Well, yeah, don't you? Worthy. The, uh, the, deferred, the deferred gratification test. The marshmallow the, test? Yeah, the marshmallow test. Doesn't that, like, determine? I think it hasn't been replicated. I think it falls in that category. People can't learn. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, then this is maybe the lie that you need to keep because if, if they figured out what that test was, mom and dad would just say, okay, for today, don't eat the cookies. That's what I'm saying. And, right. like, just let them torture you <laughs> or whatever the right. test is. Are you guys ready for the lie that he is going to tell them and see if oh. you know, that and, and mess with them? Sure. This is the blood test. This is the blood test. Well, we first we tell them that their youth was a dream. <laughs> okay. All of the education we have given them was imaginary. That's so dumb. When in reality, they have been gestating in the womb of the earth. I hate this. And then they come out of the earth and their duty is to protect it. We also tell them that their inside of them they have mixed the alloys of the divine so the rulers have gold in their in their blood and body okay the auxiliaries or the guardians uh-huh. have silver and the common man have iron and brass and this is not hereditary so if say two golds have kids oh, you could have an iron and brass kid okay. basically we just figure out where they are and we will tell our guardians mm-hmm. that they have like blood in their bloodstream or gold in their bloodstream. Okay. Of course they have blood in their bloodstream, right. yeah, but sure. they'll have gold yeah. in their bloodstream. And that way they won't want to meddle with the nasty gold that is tarnished and passed around by everyone oh, else. They already have enough. And then this is what I thought was really interesting. He said, we need to make sure our guardians live together as if in a camp, don't have embellished dwellings. They have small houses or barracks. They don't deal in money and they are only given an allowance of what is useful for that year. They don't have an excess of food. They don't have anything like that because once that power is, united with the taste for possessions or the ability to accumulate possessions, it's really dangerous. So we only give them what's necessary. We tell them they have gold in their bloodstream, so they won't want to fiddle with the gold elsewhere. And that is what we do with our guardians. So we lie to them a bunch, (laughs) tell them they're made of gold, Uh and then make sure they don't have anything cool. Bummer. And and everyone sort of lives under this, this story of their... The, the, their chosenness, right? Like everyone yep. sort of has this this lie. You are built this for this lie. thing. Yeah. yeah. So so change among class isn't, yeah, yeah, yeah. isn't really possible because yeah. you're either made of brass and iron or you're made of gold mm-hmm. or you're made of silver. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's actually, actually a lie. All of this is a hypothetical example. So mm-hmm. there is actually no movement in social class. So in some, I don't know, if a guardian is a bad guardian, they probably get kicked out instead of becoming a ruler. Right. Well, what what they say is that if he begins to accumulate property, uh-huh. then what we'll do is we'll just make him a husbandman. Like we won't oh. let him be a guardian anymore. Yeah, if he but, wants to like be a businessman, let him be a businessman. But, but he's not a guardian. So you anymore. can go down. You can't go up. Is that it? I don't know if they talk about going up, but they do yeah. make an allowance for heading down. I just find it that it's interesting that we actually follow most of these recommendations. We don't lie to our soldiers about what they're made of. Right. But we do not let them have large houses while they're staying and oh. while they're deployed. Interesting. Right. They really? live together in barracks. They wow. are given simple fare and few possessions when yeah. they're traveling around like i mean yes we we pay them well and eventually when they leave the military they will be taken care of but while they're in the military typically they have few possessions Less, yeah. small houses barracks they lodge together they have simple foods right interesting it seems like we actually follow most of these things because think about it if our military had the ability to accumulate large possessions and mm. like that gets that gets dangerous really fast True. right yeah it does. I, I thought you were going to take it the angle of this all sounds very Spartan also, but um, yeah. It, I mean, it does. Yeah. Right. But Sparta had everybody do that. Yeah. As opposed, As opposed to, a to just the guardian. Yeah. yeah. Sparta was totally mm. soldiers instead yeah. of partially soldiers. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Huh. I just found it interesting that we actually follow a lot of those. Yeah. I mean, I'm, we're not exactly lying to them, telling them they popped have, out of the earth. Or have gold in their veins. Or, or have gold in their right. veins. But, you know, we do sort of reform them when they enter the military. Sure. We break them down to nothing and then build them back up to yep. be soldiers. Yeah. 
So we have a lot of the her- more the hereditary story too. My some people dad was in the military. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. That's true. Anyway, that is chapter three. So all about the education of the soldier. So to review, I'm getting a clearer picture of justice. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> a very clear so, answer. Yeah. To review, get rid of all the bad stories, the bad poetry, and the bad music. Make sure that they. Perf- you know, work out in the gym simply and eat simple foods and have a balance between music and gym. Mm. And then don't give them anything nice and make them live together and tell them they're made of gold. Yeah. And that's that's the story in chapter three. Rock and roll. Isn't it weird that lying is a part of this just society? Anyway. Yeah. It's In fact, it's, a, it's an allowance given to certain people. Yeah. Yeah. I need to think on that some more. All right. This has been... Anything else before? Uh, not that I know this of. has been Classical Stuff You Should Know. You can find us online at classicalstuff.net. You can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can find us on Twitter at classicalstuff, spelled C-L-S-S-C-A-L, stuff. I think that is it. So signing off for Graham, AJ, and Thomas. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thomas, you're really good at that. It's so authoritative. Thank you. That's really good. Bye-bye. You have gold blood. Gold. Golden boy over here. Bye.